0: When the Barkeep has a cactus mace. When the eighties last for ten hours. When crime doesn't pay, but guilds do. That is when heroes rise.
1: You stand between me and my lord and kin. Begone. Force the It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices.
2: Welcome, Brave Adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Ryu, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land.
1: I'm Lennon. And I'm Ostron.
2: And this is the 173rd entry into our chronicle, recorded on Saturday, July 10th, and released Wednesday, July 14th, over at HeroesRisePodcast.com.
0: So, Ostron, what's in store for our Brave Adventurers this week?
1: In this week's adventures Pack, Lennon shows us where all his favorite taverns are. Next, we check out some D&D news as we discuss D&D cartoons, further adventures in the Forgotten Realms, and all the details of all the games at D&D Live 2021.
0: After that, we take a short rest and dig up some Unearthed Mundana to find out how crime is actually organized, before finally heading over to the Scrying Pool to see what you have to say.
2: That takes care of all the introductions, so let's take a look at what's in our Adventurers Packs. Do you always carry this much in your bag? If we're gonna get out of here, we're not gonna need a few things. Name one
1: thing you're gonna need The stupid roll for!
0: So often when you look on old world maps, you will see signs outside of the known landmasses that say, here be dragons. But what if you're trying to generate a world and a place to do a campaign, and you're missing some other bits and pieces, and so you're looking outside the bounds of your own imagination. Uh, well, that is where Here Be Taverns comes in handy. Uh, so, herebeetaverns.com is a website that is set up by a group called Sword and Source, and Sword and Source was a uh, newish venture founded in 2020 after its founder and I'm probably gonna mess your name up apologies Adam Vasselnook. I'm not entirely too sure how to say it anyway they had a lifelong interest in tabletop games and particularly in the fantasy section so they decided that they wanted to try to you know bring about a new online business that could serve the tabletop roleplaying community and one of the projects that has spun off of that is hereby taverns now Here Be taverns is a collection of generators and the tagline for it is simple generators for busy game masters and much like most generators it can do a number of different things there is a free and a premium tier by the way so the free tier will get you taverns characters, items, monsters, plot hooks and landmarks. Whilst the premium tier will give you all of that, but also unlock factions, towns and encounters. The premium tier costs $25 for a lifetime subscription and that's uh currently on a $5 sale for uh, the launch of this website because this is pretty pretty much hot off the press. Uh normally it would be like I said $30 for a lifetime subscription to it. So, Let's talk about the generators themselves. So as I mentioned, there are multiple different sections. You've got taverns, characters, items, monsters, plot hooks, and landmarks. So when you click on things like the character generator, as an example, it's capable of generating two different types. You have what are called NPCs and what are called heroes. As the name suggests, heroes will include player classes. So you will get your barbarians, your rogues, your druids. Whereas the NPCs are things like armorer thatcher anthropologist physician those types of classes in inverted commas on the generator you do have the option of selecting a specific race if you want to try to generate just a half elf for example you can do that and then hit the roll button and you will be presented with 10 or so half elves that you can choose from you can alternatively completely remove the racial filter and you can just generate for every single race that is in the base game Now, one thing to note about these generators is that they give you the ideals, the bonds, and the flaws for each of the characters, and it gives you a little bit of a one-liner, so for example, they are very messy, or they don't eat meat, or they have tattoos on their legs, or just something like that. And they'll usually give you a one-line speech as well. So, for example, this particular NPC that I generated uh, is called Sumesh Altheria. Uh, She's the one with the uh, leg tattoos. And uh, the the quote, the one-liner is, I heard the princess is getting married. Just gives you a little bit of something to sort of base an initial conversation off of. Unfortunately, that is all you get when you generate them. There are no character sheets or anything like that. However, you can obviously just refer to things like "Follows Guide to Monsters, Xenathar's Guide to everything, anywhere that has base stats for commoners and the like, you'll be able to get some very basic stats out for them. But if you need ideas for actual people, names, employment status, ideal bonds floors, you've got all that in there. So outside of that, let's move on to the taverns. The tavern generator, much like the items generator, doesn't give you any gold value for any of the items on its menus, by the way. And that's kind of a bit of a theme. Anywhere where there could potentially be stats uh, or prices, etc. They won't be present but uh going back to what you do get on the tavern generator is you get a very nice map and these maps are randomly generated so sometimes it's just one floor sometimes it's two or three but they're very clean very crisp and very very readable the tavern will then obviously generate a name a bit of a description so for example the wayfarer and tacit with the description you can't see inside the tavern because the windows are filthy In this particular tavern, on the menu is honey-glazed ribs, roasted lizard, and giant spider legs. It also includes a section for rumours, so the rumours in this place are the magistrate wants to outlaw drinking, and over half the town has gotten a strange pox, and there's many, many others that can be generated. Also, when you generate a tavern, you do get a small list of characters who would be people who would be appearing in the tavern, so in this case, I've got a gnome tutor and a tiefling diplomat. The tiefling diplomat's name is Riley Cole, and if I hover over their name and I click Riley Cole, it then brings up a complete list of all of the people that are in the tavern, and uh, it gives me, once again, the sort of short character sheet like it was before with the ideal bond floor, a little bit of speech, etc. You can also hit to print the maps and that will just take you open to an svg page where you can just send it to print so again moving on from there items basically they generate magic items it'll give you a rarity it'll give you some details it won't give you prices unfortunately but what i do like about these is that they are very descriptive and they all have artwork with them, which is something that can often be lacking in generators like this. So your players want to know what a particular thing looks like. You kind of have to invent it on the fly. Whereas this, you actually have a picture that you will be able to actually give to them or print out or show them to actually demonstrate what the item would look like and they can help you know add that to their characters. As well as all the info text on it, so every item has a good paragraph of description involving what it does, what bonuses it has, how it can be used, etc. It then also has either a bit of history or a bit of uh, background, uh, possibly just some sort of description about the item that's in more of a legendarium type approach. It's almost in like a read aloud text box for filters on the items you get to choose whether you want mundane items or potions or whether you want magic items and once again you just hit the roll button to get those moving on from there monsters much like when you do the npcs the monsters will give you a name this time it will give you a threat level and occasionally it will give you a stat block i think the only times it ever gives you a stat block is when it generates a monster that actually exists within the srd or the Tome of Beasts, or various other publications like that. Other times, if it uses it from another source, then it doesn't actually have a stat block, which can get a little bit annoying because sometimes you want stats for, for example, the uh, antlered turkey vulture, but in this case, there aren't any, even though the threat level is uh, legendary. So I would love to see that fight. Moving on from there, landmarks are small locations that have been generated with a little bit of flavor text. so for example the forge of the rogue uh it says in the heart of the jungle lies a forge the forge is contained in a spire standing 200 feet tall for centuries the forge has been cold and in addition to the actual descriptions and the places much like with the magic items these actually have images that you can then use to print out and include in your tables at your games and The images themselves are from Two Minute Tabletop, and so if you're familiar with their art style, you should have a good idea about how this looks. Once again, you've got a filter for locales, so if you want to generate locations in a dungeon or in a forest or in mountains, you've got the ability to do that as well. As I mentioned, this particular set of artwork is by Two Minute Tabletop. And in fact when you look at the other generators particularly the premium ones you will find that the towns are including items from Waterboo, which is somebody that we've covered previously on another adventures pack and that's because these generators actually pull together resources from lots of well-known TTRPG creators and generators. So, for example, this pulls from uh, Boost generators, Icarus Games, DM Heroes, Griffin's Saddlebag, Two Minute Tabletop, Lorecraft, uh, Maze Rats, Tome of Beasts, Cobalt Press, loads of places have given their permission to be included in these generators. And that is something that I think really helps set this set of generators apart from all the others, is that these pull together these really well-known resources And so they give you more things that you would get here of a higher quality than you would find generally in any of the single generators that are out there on the web. Uh, Hidden on the website as well is a section for some experimental features that they've got, which includes a Markov name generator. So a Markov chain, for those who may not have heard the term, is an algorithm that you give it several pieces of information. It figures out rules and patterns, slices them up, and then tries to generate things based on that. So, for example, if you took the names uh, Ostron, Lenin, and Ryu, it would realize that, you know, it's grouped together in syllables and all that sort of thing. So it might take our names, splice them up, and come up with uh, Lenru, or Ostronen, or something like that. This Markov chain generator has been fed a load of names, and you can just hit the roll button just to generate individual names. And it also has a cheese generator. I say generator, it's not so much of a generator as it is a uh, pick a random cheese name, so Monterey Jack, Provolone, Halloumi, etc. So that's just a little bit of fun hidden away on the website if you want it going back to the actual generators though if you find things that you like in the bottom right hand corner of each like card that it presents you can click to add it to your collection and then once you have built up a collection you can register with the site if you want to save them between browsers or you can just click the collection at the top and and if you're on the same browser that you have generated them all on you will be able to access the collection that way you'll be able to print things off you'll be able to build up a nice little collection in your collection so, yeah, Ostron, Ryu, um, I recently threw these generators your way to have a play around with. What are your thoughts on it? What did you find that you liked about this, didn't like about it compared to other generators we've covered in the past?
2: Remember when we covered a generator a couple of weeks ago and I was slightly put out by the fact that the magic items didn't all have unique art to go with them? Uh-huh. This one does.
0: Yes, it does.
2: And I love it. There's a cactus mace I'm, I'm stealing that.
0: <laughs> the picture for it is as it sounds a mace
1: made the cactus of cactus on the end. Yep. that's great yeah wherever wherever the uh, the magic items are being pulled from they definitely spent a lot of time on it. I would mm-hmm. say that possibly other than the tavern maps that particular generator might be the most sort of feature complete one.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that comes from uh, the Griffin Saddlebag, who we did loosely cover this eons ago. And when I say loosely, it came up in relation to something. And I want to say we saw it at Pax Ostron and they were looking to create actual item cards and books and they had a, an actual proper book and card set that was coming out. I don't know if it ever actually launched. I haven't followed that up, but I know that that's the items that were included in this.
2: It did launch. Yay! And
0: there we go.
2: I don't remember if I backed it or not. <laughs> I think my next favorite thing about this site is the monster generator.
0: See, I wasn't actually... Of all the generators, I found this one to be the least exciting.
2: Really? Because yeah. I have generated things like acid blood pigeons and clockwork beetle swarms and a dragon leaf tree that has a breath weapon that comes out of its leaves.
0: Okay, well, you generated a dragon, so you are clearly set...
2: Uh, there's also a gate titan. Um, this is one of the few on here that does not have an attached stat block. And that makes me very sad because the little blurb about it says that it has leeching and surprising mating habits.
0: I don't think you'd get a stat block for those.
2: Well, yeah. Well, the leeching, it would be in the stat block. Well, yes. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Do
0: you think the leeching is part of the surprising mating habits? Perhaps. Mmm. Mmm. (laughs) Yes, that is one thing that does annoy me about the monster section is that you get some nicely generated ones and then there's no stat block. So it's like, okay, I've got a type, but having to then come up, especially if it has something like, you know, threat level heroic, and you're like, okay, well, now I've got to try and figure out an appropriate CR. Yes, I know, Astron, I know. But uh, you then got to figure out all the spells and everything like that. The ones where you do have a stat block, though, I do quite like them. Those are just, uh, those are pretty cool.
1: Well, although to your point, I'm looking through, a lot of the ones that have stat blocks aren't generated. They're just pulled out of existing resources.
0: Right, right, but there are lots of resources that it pulls together, so there's like Tome yeah. of Beasts, there's the Creature Codex, the SRD, um, various other sort of OGL content as well.
2: And I have to say that tied with the monster generator for my fa- next favorite is the plot hooks one. And that's just because oh, yes. these are hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I covered plot hooks in my in my uh, blurb. Apologies, but yes. Yeah, so plot hooks, you, you it literally just generates plot hooks. Does it sound so? Um, but some you can of choose them are really
1: funny. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. Some of them also get a bit creepy on occasion. <laughs> I found. Um, so, for example, uh, one of the plot hooks is a pack of demon worshipping gnolls have been abducting people to use in their cannibalistic sacrifice.
2: I've got one that says, after torrential rains lately, thousands, if not millions of earthworms are overrunning the town. Storm Hogan likes to fish, so he's not stressed out about the worms at all.
0: (laughs) I have got one here generated called Landshark. The description, sharks with legs. (laughs) Need we say more?
2: I feel like, especially my group, who really likes to engage in shenanigans, would just take these plot hooks and run with them.
1: I have to say, the potion generator i think is the letdown of the group for me okay because it looks the most like a just random slipshot generator where yeah like a somebody, mad lib
0: style thing
1: yeah somebody grabbed a bunch of lists of things and the generator is just pulling it random so the potions have no artwork although you know arguably the amount of variety you get when talking about potions is somewhat limited, but very often the name of the potion has nothing to do with what it does or with its rarity. So, for example, I generated this one. It's called Tonic of Coiling. It's a rare potion and its effect is see as far as a hawk. And I'm like, okay, what does that have to do with coiling exactly? Also... And I'm not sure what the, like, legality of this is or how problematic it is. But all of the potions come with a line that says "brewed from, Mm -hmm. uh, which indicates the ingredients, which initially really excited me until I started reading them and realized that every single one of the ingredients is taken directly from skyrim video game oh all of the ingredients that they list in there are the same exact ones that the video game skyrim uses to brew its potions and once again the ingredients seem to have nothing to do with either the name of the potion or what it does so yeah i have to I mean, there are a lot of good generators on here, the magic items one is great, even the mundane items one is pretty interesting, the rest of the generators are great, the potions one I would say just flat out skip. Well, links to Hereby Taverns and all of its
0: generators can be found in our show notes, but is there something that's an absolute must-have at your tables? Have you found a cool app, book, or other item you'd like to share with other adventurers and dungeon masters? If so, let us know about it on social media at Heroes and DD or by emailing sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. But for now, let's check out some D&D news.
2: Sire, uh, I have news. And what sort of news do you have? It's not bad news, is it? You no, know, I can't take bad news
1: furniture all over town has been turning into monsters. This week in D&D news, as you may have heard by now, Magic the Gathering and D&D are having a bit of a crossover at the moment. Adventures in the Forgotten Realms will be launching very soon, bringing one of the worlds of D&D over to Magic the Gathering. Now, with Magic being a collectible card game, it should come as no surprise that certain cards in a given set will have alternate versions printed. Some may be full art, others may be foiled, but whatever it is, these alternate card styles are usually highly valued by collectors, doubly so if the card itself is also decently useful in game. As well as releasing cards and booster sets, Wizards of the Coast also have a program called Secret Lair, a series of specially curated cards that features some completely alternative arts. Unlike the regular releases, the Secret Lair releases are extremely limited and are only available for a very brief window, so if you miss it, You're out of luck. As fans of Magic have no doubt expected, there's going to be a Secret Lair release accompanying Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, featuring five cards with alternate art styles taken directly from the 1980s D&D Saturday morning cartoon. To celebrate the launch of this Secret Lair drop, Wizards of the Coast have ran a complete marathon of the 1980s D&D cartoon over on their Twitch page. So if you want a great nostalgic trip down memory lane, or you're new to D&D and have never watched the cartoon when it aired, or you're way younger than any of us here at Heroes Rise and weren't even born when it was released, you can catch it in all its glory through their video on demand at twitch.tv slash DD. and and a direct link to the 10-hour marathon can be found in the show notes.
0: So I don't know about you guys, but I never watched the D&D Saturday morning cartoon. I was aware of its existence, I was just apparently far too cool for it when I was a child.
1: Unfortunately, I also missed it. I'm uh, not entirely certain why um, so you
0: weren't too cool for it as a child then
1: no, uh, no I probably would have watched it I just don't recall um, I don't recall ever seeing it or having access to it it's possible it was on a channel I either didn't get or didn't see
2: I don't remember much of any of the cartoons that I watched when I was little besides Shira. so yeah And then Pirates of Dark Water, but that was after the 80s.
0: So none of us here have watched it. So the good news is we now all can. Uh, As I mentioned, there is going to be a link directly to it over in the show notes. Um, But yeah, it was a uh, 10-hour marathon with all the episodes back to back.
1: There may be a clue here from, from one of our Patreon's bucket. It aired from 83 to 85. I was alive at the time... I was one. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, see, I was alive at the time as well, but... You were also British TV... I was, yes, but British TV (laughs) back then lagged behind American TV quite a long way because a lot of the time the TV show would have to be imported into Europe. Europe would have distribution rights, but it also had to be translated into French, Spanish, and German even though we would get the American English version. So we were often a year, if not two, if not three, behind American TV. These days with streaming, obviously it's like worldwide release simultaneously, but back then, yeah, I can remember it being on TV when I was about six, but obviously I'm in a bit of a different situation to you guys.
1: Yeah, I would have been too young to get the episodes as they were coming out. I don't know how much, if at all, it was syndicated and rebroadcast, but... Yeah, I was I was a little too young
0: well if you find yourself with a spare 10 hours and critical role isn't doing it for you
1: you can take it from the OG master
2: is it only 10 hours for the entire show
1: it is it is well, 10 half, hours half hour episodes so that's yeah. 20 episodes yeah, In
2: single but, season but it went it went on for at least two years I thought
1: yeah they probably didn't do full seasons or full American seasons
2: that makes sense. Continuing with the Magic the Gathering D&D crossover theme, the second entry into the Adventures of the Forgotten Realms D&D campaign has also been released and is available on the Magic the Gathering website as a free PDF download. Continuing on from part one, this entry is entitled The Hidden Page and is suitable for four to six characters of 8th level. Alongside the adventure, you'll also need the core D&D manuals, but shouldn't require anything else.
0: This adventure begins when the characters discover a secret door, and provided they choose to investigate, will hopefully overcome the traps beyond it. The treasure that was being hidden and carefully guarded leads them to a strange island in a demiplane, at the center of which is a refuge of a vanished wizard. The fate of the demiplane itself and its current inhabitants is ultimately all in the hands of our plucky adventurers.
1: Without getting too spoilery, a familiar face from the previous entry makes another appearance and, much like we mentioned before, the adventure is a little straightforward in its design with nothing revolutionary, but it's still a well-written adventure it can even be taken wholesale and dropped into an existing campaign as a side quest.
0: So last week when we had the first part, Ryu, you said that you were looking forward to the continuation of it. How does this adventure stack up to what you were expecting?
2: It's really not bad. I feel like they could intertwine the story a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but it's still a pretty good continuation. My only problem is that I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get around to running this for my group.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so from what I I understand with this, given what they did in Part 1, what they've done in Part 2, and the little teaser that they've given for Part 3, Part 3, which is coming up, is called A Verdant Tomb, and that'll be released in the coming weeks, so we'll report on it next week. It looks as if they're kind of actually giving a flavour of Magic the Gathering into D&D because they're doing lots of inventions that involve short hops into different planes, which is obviously a very Magic the Gathering thing, the whole, you know, planeswalker being able to go between the different planes, so I think they're intertwining it that way, and I wouldn't be surprised if in parts 3, 4, and 5, etc., that it will then loop its way back around and everything will meet up. Of course, I could just be making that up, and I could be very disappointed, but I have hope.
1: Well, no, that would make sense, because they are definitely trying to reinforce the idea that Faerun and the Forgotten Realms are another plane in the multiverse that magic is already connected to
0: yeah now see there's a little bit of an asterisk there because uh mark rosewater i think that's his name the guy who is like the sort of head designer of magic the gathering um he got asked outright on twitter does this make forgotten realms an official magic plane and they're basically like no but kind of not really, but also yes, but kind of no. And I think he wants to see how it's going to pan out, what people's uh, feelings and thoughts on having magic as a plane to be. So I think all of this indicates what they would like to do if it was an official
1: plane. The Genius makes sense, though, because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's we've already seen from both sides, like when the Ravnica book was released for d you had a certain subset of people that were like, why is this card game in my tabletop RPG? And a lot of the same stuff is happening over on the other side with the release of the Forgotten Realms. It's like some people aren't taking it seriously, and they're like, oh, magic is... Or they're somewhat in ignorance going, oh, d d is failing, so Wizards is trying to prop it up by linking it into magic, which... Mm. I mean, based on numerous sales reports they've released, d is not failing, but you right. know, there's a certain amount of hostility to the idea of completely folding them together, even though it looks like they're low-key saying, yes, we're folding them together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically
0: like, you know, chocolate's pretty good, peanut butter's pretty good. If we had some sort of chocolate peanut butter, like, if you can just imagine... A chocolate peanut butter combination. If such a thing could exist in some sort of small cup, maybe. How amazing that would be. And that's what they're going for with this, I feel.
2: I am a little disappointed that it's still for level eight characters, though.
0: You would have preferred higher level?
2: Well, I was hoping they would at least give a level up milestone at the end of the first one so that they would be level nine for this one.
0: Well, Ryu... Well, it says the end of this adventure makes a fine milestone for leveling up. The next adventure in this series is meant for ninth level
2: characters. Well, that's good. I'm so, just saying I wish that it had, it had gone up one step instead of two steps. Or I guess yeah. a half step, really. It would be a half step, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, negative two, I think, is the mathematical <laughs> constant there. I can just see Ostron rolling his eyes now. So I'm just going to...
2: I mean, know, I'm kind of rolling my eyes at you too, so it's okay. That's fair. And finally in our news roundup, we recently reported on the cast members of one of the Celebrity Games at this year's D&D Live event, taking place on the 16th and 17th of July, which is tomorrow and Friday if you're listening to this the day of release. At the time, there was one mystery guest still left to be announced, and now we know who it is! Joining Jack Black, Reggie Watts, Lauren Lapkus, Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, and Dungeon Master Kate Welch is actress, comedian, and bestselling author Tiffany Haddish. Kate, in her role as DM, will be guiding the players through a very serious investigation into dragons, krakens, and sea giant queens.
0: So if the Lost Odyssey table didn't take your fancy, then maybe you'd like to wander over to the Chaos Carnival table, featuring some of WWE's most adventurous superstars. Leading the table on its quest for completion is Dungeon Master Abria Iengar, who will help the WWE superstars Xavier Woods, Ember Moon, Mace, and Tyler Breeze navigate the Chaos Carnival.
1: You had to give me this table, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Over on the Flubby Bonks and Guzzleshucks table, popular streamers Dr. Lupo and Nega Oryx will join comedian Ify Wideway and G4 cast members Kevin Pereira, Adam Sessler, and Fiona Nova. Apparently, the table name came from running the names Piera and Sessler through a gnomish wizard name generator. Leading the table on its adventure will be Dungeon Master Amy Vorpal.
2: The cast from Peacock's hit comedy AP Bio will bring their expertise in the Krebs cycle of frost giants to the Palace of the Vampire Queen table. You can join Patton Oswalt, Nick Pine, Marissa Baram, Alison Snyder, and Jacob Houston as they are led by Dungeon Master B. Dave Walters.
0: And finally, you can also join B. Dave Walters as a player alongside Xander Jonaret. Deborah Anwar and Seth Green, as they improvised their way through a doomed campaign to hunt a massive monster with a challenge rating, quote, the size of the moon. Hosted by Bill Rahel and run by DM John Ciccolini, the Purple Worm Kill Kill table promises to be low on critical hits but high in critical laughs. That's their words, not ours. No promises.
1: As mentioned, all of the above are taking place during D&D Live 2021, which this year is hosted by G4 and can be watched on the Peacock streaming service, G4TV on Twitch, or the official D&D Twitch channel. In addition to the games, the two-day event will also feature more information on the upcoming D&D storylines, more details on Magic the Gathering sets, and they're planning to unveil a few secret projects, the details of which we'll be talking about as soon as we know what they are
0: so celebrity games celebrity games lots of people yada yada
1: going on to that last bit there
0: about how they are going to give us information on the upcoming DD storylines i'm presuming that that is the books that got leaked by amazon which i know that they said you will hear more about during dnd live 2021 but i don't know the way that it was written on upcoming DD storylines more details on magic the gathering sets which I know that Adventures in the Forgotten Realms hasn't launched in physical form yet. It's out on Magic the Gathering Arena, just not in paper-based, and it won't launch till about a week, maybe two, after D&D Live 2021. It doesn't, I don't know, compared to the last D&D Live and the one before that, it just feels like this event is going to be lacking in, I don't know, the, the things that make me personally excited for a D live event which is the talk about DD. i mean these days actual play games are everywhere celebrity games are not uncommon anymore and so i, I don't know it's just maybe maybe this event isn't aimed at people like me but i just feel that we sort of drifted away from a lot of the we're unveiling the products, we're having a chat and even when they then got people in for like the marketeers and the licenses, and we heard how it was all developed behind the scenes and everything like that, that just felt like much more of an actual showcase than what it looks like we're gonna get this year, which is just lots of celebrity games and maybe they'll talk about a magic set that they haven't stopped talking about for about a year now.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be too cynical about it, but The D&D live shows seem to have had issues from the first time they tried it. Because if you remember the first D&D live, it was a decently good show, but the problems were fairly obvious and they were noticeable. Like, for example, there was the weird, almost throwaway announcement about an Eberron book tacked on at the very end there was the lack of an announcement about Baldur's Gate 3. And then when the trailer for it came out, it very much looked like the kind of trailer you're supposed to show at an event like D&D Live, rather than one that's supposed to be released independent. So I don't know that Wizards of the Coast at this point necessarily knows what to do with D&D Live. Uh, Because this definitely feels more like an expo, like E3, or the consumer technology show, whose name I forget off the top of my head. Now that we're caught up with the latest D&D news, let's take a short rest and dig up some Unearthed Mondana to find out how crime is actually organized. Are you sure life isn't a game? What
2: is real? How do you define real? Uh, What's this, my mantra?
0: The Wi-Fi password.
2: We're not
1: savages.
0: Uh,
2: Ryu? I didn't take it. The hat's in the vault, and Linden gave me the money for socks.
1: Do you even wear socks? I thought you had those foot wrap shoe-like things for climbing.
2: Uh, let's change the subject. Did you need something?
1: Yeah, I need some materials to repair one of the artifacts, and they're not the sort of thing you can pick up in the marketplace, if
2: you know what I mean. Right. In that case, you want the Jincha Hengbokan Jogorun Saranje Hey,
0: hey, what if I told you people about reciting summoning spells? Stop it.
2: I wasn't. That's the name of the group. Jincha Hengbokan Jogorun Saranje A g-
0: group of what? Demons?
2: No, of course not. They're creatively independent business people.
1: Oh, uh, so the Thieves Guild.
2: They would consider that kind of insulting. Also, they aren't really organized like a guild.
1: Does that matter?
2: Oh boy. Here, sit down and let me give you the basics. So whether organized crime existed in the way we think of it in real medieval history is something that's debatable and depends on what group and period of history you're looking at. But regardless, thanks to modern medieval fantasy stories, now when a lot of people think of functional medieval society, they assume there's some sort of large organized group of people that are largely focused on illegal operations. Usually, the three main things they cover are robbery, smuggling, and assassinations. If there are any illegal materials, like drugs, they handle the transportation and distribution. However, it's not always clear how the organization part of the organized crime groups function. Even in most cases where the group is an official module, like Brigandirth or the Zentarim, there will only be a summary of who is in charge of the group, what they focus on, and occasionally how someone becomes a member. But beyond that, there's not much detail. Now you may not need detail in most cases, unless the organized crime group is the major focus of the campaign, but if you do want it to be there, how would that look?
0: The first thing you need to determine is whether this is to be a group more like a modern organized crime ring or if it's following the guild model. Many of the groups grab the guild titles, such as the Xanathar Guild or the more generic Thieves Guild, but that may or may not have anything to do with how they're actually set up. Given how many groups do use the guild title, possibly because people think it sounds more medieval, and the fact it's a little less known, we'll start with that one. Guilds, in general, have three official layers of membership, with an optional fourth layer depending. In order, you have apprentices, journeymen, and masters. The optional level is grandmasters, who are usually nominated from within the guild to form a leadership or directorial body. In this model apprentices don't have any specific requirements other than interest in joining they will be apprenticed to a specific master who will teach them all the basics of the craft whatever that craft may be to reach journeyman rank the apprentices have to demonstrate a level of knowledge about the craft and then produce a piece of work as a sort of test if their work is acceptable they are then promoted to journeyman
1: journeyman in the literal sense refers to their ability to travel Rather than being attached to a single master, they are free to travel and learn from multiple different masters. In the original model, journeymen were also capable of earning their own money, rather than relying on a master for their livelihood. They could not set up their own shop, however. To gain that privilege, they had to produce a literal masterpiece, or a piece of work that demonstrated everything they'd learned. If the masterpiece was accepted by other masters in the guild, they were promoted to the same rank. That allowed them to operate independently, and take on apprentices of their own. As mentioned, some guilds have Grandmasters. Those ranks matter less in terms of skill, and more in terms of politics, as the Grandmasters generally become the people who determine overall guild policy and settle disputes. In more egalitarian guilds, the Grandmasters would be still chosen based on ability, but it's not guaranteed. For a guild focused on illegal activities, such as assassination, the journeyman and masterpieces would probably be tasks rather than literal items, so moving from apprentice to journeyman might require someone to complete an assassination without any assistance, and going from journeyman to master may mean something higher profile, like assassinating a noble or carrying out an assassination during daylight.
2: An illegal group operating as a guild would have members with only loose association with each other, and the masters would set up a lot of their own rules. So if you have a city, for example, and different districts or territories are each controlled by a master, the only concerns between them would be making sure that any activity their guild controls is always done by members of the guild, and that the overall rules of promotion and membership are consistent. Other masters wouldn't dictate how their peers run things in their territory and they wouldn't directly compete with each other, but one member's business may be very different in details from another. If that doesn't sound like what you're looking for, a crime group based on a more modern model is going to look a lot more like a business or a military organization. This one is more familiar to many people because almost all modern shows or movies that involve organized crime follow this model. For these groups, there's usually one clear leader. How they got there and how their successor is chosen varies a lot. It could be an election, it could be passed down like a noble title, or there could be some sort of competition up to and including fighting to the death.
0: With the leader, there is usually a group known as the inner circle. This is often made up of all the people who are in the next rank down, plus one person who is a direct advisor to the leader. The number of people depends on how many different things are going on in the organization and how it's organized. Sometimes there are three people, One person in charge of all these so-called military operations, one in charge of the administrative stuff and one in charge of training and initiation of new members, plus the advisor. In other cases, you have an inner circle made up of the heads of all of the group's activities, so you have a group of the head thief, head assassin, head smuggler, etc, etc. As far as that advisor goes, usually this is a person who functions as the surrogate leader if the person in charge isn't there or is busy and isn't directly tied to any specific area of operation. They can't contradict the leader, but they can make decisions the leader would normally be responsible for. If the leader is smart or wants to keep their job for any length of time, the advisor is someone very trusted. After the Inner Circle, the rank structures are mostly like the military. You hold a certain rank depending on how many people you manage, how much territory you're responsible for, or both. Everyone reports to the person the next rank up, and they're usually the one responsible for promoting or conversely punishing you. There's a lot more direct accountability in this setup as compared to the guild model, so it's very likely operations will be more consistent across the entire groups, with only very minor details differing from leader to leader.
1: The division of responsibilities varies from group to group, like the setup of the Inner Circle. Using real-world examples, usually the various mafias divide things up based on leadership. A boss at some level will be given control of all operations in one area, and will be responsible for the security and muscle for that area as well. So with that model, a single person will be the go-to for any drugs, assassinations, smuggling, or anything else, but just in that area. There may also be limits on how much so-called business they're allowed to handle. If you want to smuggle one magic artifact in off a boat, you talk to the lower-level boss. If you're smuggling in a crate of magic swords, that may need to be kicked up the chain. Other organized crime groups, particularly those with Eastern traditions like the Triads or the Yakuza, separate out the so-called security operations from everything else, and the various non-combat business operations are dealt with as a whole. There may still be individual bosses in charge of specific operations, but they will have wider areas of responsibility, and will be overseeing more overlapping operations as you climb the rank ladder.
2: So addressing the elephant in the room, you may have noticed we left one major area off the list of things some organized crime groups engage in. Partly that's an organizational concern, but it's also because you should probably think very carefully about whether prostitution should be a thing in your campaign. Definitely bring it up well before it appears in game to make sure everyone is okay with it. With that in mind, if we're talking about individual prostitution, it's usually folded into the other business of a crime group along with the drugs and the smuggling and etc. However, if there's an actual brothel, sometimes it can sit outside the group's hierarchy. Historically, this is partly because organized crime tends to very much be a boys club and they're either against or afraid to let women into the hierarchy. In those cases, the brothel may pay some sort of tribute to the local group, but are otherwise left alone. In other cases, the brothel is part of the organization and the person in charge of it, usually called a madam and traditionally a former prostitute who has either voluntarily or practically aged out of service, is part of the leadership at whatever level makes sense. Particularly in the case of the Eastern model of organization, you could end up with a boss in charge of all prostitution.
0: As we said before, the need for this kind of information is situational. If you just need a nonspecific crime group operating in an area so a couple of characters can make a few risky skill checks in a dark alley to secure an imported displacer beast, you probably don't need to worry about the hierarchy. On the other hand, if the city guard is looking at a dead nobleman with a dagger sticking out of his back, it might be worth figuring out a more detailed leadership structure for the characters that infiltrate and investigate. Uh, so, all that's good, but what was it you were after anyway, Elstron?
1: It's a specific type of psionic crystal that's shaped like a Mobius strip. It's for Rostrum.
2: What are you trying to do to that hunk of junk now?
1: Well, I had in my notes I needed to install a... Uh, what did I call it? Yeah... Horizontal Rippling Telekinetic Surface Projector with Variable Speed Control. Though now that I look at it, I'm not actually sure what that's for.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you give me a minute to look at this? Katie! I didn't think
1: it was that big a deal.
0: Well, I mean, you know how she feels about Rostro. Uh, Say, have you considered sending that whatever she called it group uh, message in the Scrying Pool?
1: I... Didn't think Ray-Ray would be on board with that idea? I mean,
0: it can't hurt to ask, right?
1: This is Ray-Ray we're talking about.
0: Well, I bet if we clear all the messages, she'll be in a better mood. It's got to be worth a try, right?
1: What news from
2: the North? Dryness of Rohan! Yeah. Message for you, sir. Last time we asked you, the listeners out there in the multiverse, so are you familiar with Thay and their infamous red wizards? Have you encountered them in 5th edition, or do you have nostalgic experience from earlier editions? And do you have an experience with an overpowered item or ability showing up in game? What was it, and how did the rest of the campaign or game play out because of it? Pretentious Latin Name on Discord says Regarding the Red Wizards, all I really know is a vague, these guys are bad news, stay away. I would likely run away very quickly, were that not metagaming.
0: Rebel on Discord says, Good show. Thanks, Rebel. there's an old forum story about giving powerful artifacts with evil twists. Not that I'm saying that I was inspired in a moment of chaotic evil or that it would be a total KDM move, but I can confirm that as a GM, giving the party a Vorpal Dagger that's cursed to roll disadvantage is so lulz It's worth the headache of balancing encounters just to see how the party juggles that dynamic.
1: And 743E5 wrote in on Discord to say, Unfortunately, I've never run into a red mage. As for the overpowered item, as I mentioned before, I'm fairly new as a DM. I was foolish enough to let my players get their hands on a gnomish tank. If that wasn't bad enough, it didn't take them more than five minutes to find a loophole in the way the tank operated that allowed them to cast multiple level six spells at almost no cost. Twelve draconic spirits later, they then wiped out an entire castle of undead, killed the boss lich, and decided to rob the dwarven bank, getting away with nearly 11,000 platinum. (laughs) Luckily, they did agree that the vehicle needed to be nerfed. As for how the rest of the game played out, your guess is as good as mine. Although I am hopeful they're talking about crossing the sea. They'll be hard-pressed to figure out how to transport the 162-ton tank. If they do try, they're going to have to roll really high for that not to end up at the bottom of the ocean.
2: Rat Queen on Discord says, Mmm, red wizards. They've come up in the Rime of the Frostmaiden game, but we haven't met one in person, uh, in character, yet.
0: And Indigo Spectrum Discord says, My first 5th edition encounter with the Red Wizards was in Tomb of Annihilation. They seem to crop up in nearly all the hardcovers. Saztam has his fingers everywhere. In my last long-term campaign, I gave an extremely powerful item to one of my players. The veteran in the group was very sure he didn't want this item. A couple new players were a bit jealous of this other player and the new item. Three sessions later, once the player with the OP sword actually fully engaged with it, nobody except that player wanted it anymore. We've had fun with the player leaning into this curse. His character is ultimately doomed because of it. A bard whose greatest desire was to become world famous will be cursed to magically never be remembered even by his own family. He will have accomplished great things, and nobody will ever remember he existed.
1: But at least the players will. Wayne Frobisher wrote in on Discord to say our DM had adapted a well-known module that features a Red Wizard of Thay for his homebrew setting. The digital pack he purchased came with tokens for the virtual tabletop, and we all instantly recognized this guy for what he was. Example, PC. Wait a minute, are we in Thay? DM playing the Red Wizard. What? Where's Thay? Never heard of it. Other player. Well, this guy's pretty great. He must be a Super Thayan. Cue collective groan from the table. Good times, and I hate. I'm you. so
2: happy you read that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
2: sorry I have to get get my five year old giggling out of the way. <laughs> Kath Memvar on Discord says there was an optional adventure in Tyranny of Dragons that dealt with red wizards. I read the module and it seemed very weird, but my players wanted to run it, so we did. I think they did a great job showing how evil the red wizards are, but it was extremely uncomfortable for me to DM.
0: I would say I'm sorry for giving Ostron that feedback, but I'm not remotely sorry for giving Ostron that feedback. <laughs> uh.
2: I was really hoping, against hope, that you would say it in a more chipper way.
1: Of course not. Have we met? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am disturbed, though, by the number of players that want to run into the Red Wizards of Thay. Like, I get that they're iconic and that sort of thing but I don't really know many players who are like oh well unfortunately I've not run into a mind flare or unfortunately I've not run into a tarask you know it's they're, they're sort of in that sort of why would you want to run into them
1: well like you said I think it has to do with the fact that they're somewhat iconic certain things if you're like tangentially aware of D&D you know about them like beholders mm-hmm. the tarask the mind flayers So I think a lot of players want to be able to do the whole, you know, been there, done that thing. So people go, oh, you play D&D. It's like, yes, I do. Oh, did you have you ever fought a Tarrasque? Yes, I have. And it went like this because, you know, people who only vaguely are aware of it would know the Tarrasque is a thing. They wouldn't know that necessarily it's a monster that you don't. Fight unless you're at the end of a campaign, everyone's max level, and you're expecting a lot of people to die. Unless it's early in the campaign and you don't really fight the Tarrasque so much as just watch it walk over you, literally, and then you start a new campaign.
0: a little bit of it. Sometimes the Tarrasque will eat you.
1: Yes, that's that's true.
0: I do like a uh, seven four three fives um, uh, gnomish tank. Or well, more to yeah. the point, I, what I like about it was. You know, they cast 12 draconic Spirits, fine, wiped out an entire castle of undead, cool, killed the boss, great. What do you guys want to do now? <sighs> Rob a bank? Like, was
2: <laughs> just... Yeah, I remember the adventure in Tyranny of Dragons that Gath Manvar was talking about. It, it was, It was weird. I seem to remember my group running through that too, but I don't remember how they felt about it.
0: Yeah, I never quite got that far in Tyranny of Dragons. I basically did it as almost like a... And I, I realise for anybody who's played Tyranny of Dragons how this is going to sound. I ran it as an introductory session once when it was basically the only module that was that was out. And we didn't really get too far. It was just to let players get to grips with it. And as soon as I looked at the chapters about the council, just f- forget it. Um, <laughs> yep. But...
2: You mean you didn't want to be schizophrenic at the table? <laughs>
0: yeah, talk to yourself for 45 minutes whilst trying to score points against yourself. That's the that's the key bit. Yep. But yeah, um, so we never got that far. But yeah, having thought about it though, the Red Wizards have never really come up in any of my games either.
2: I've only ever run pre-made modules, so unless they're in there, then they don't really come up in mine either. I just, like I said... Things always get interesting when they show up.
0: And just piggybacking off of what Rat Queen said, if you meet one in person, probably run. Really? Run? And that brings us to this week's community questions. So, do you think D&D Live is still a relevant series of shows and announcements that help people stay in touch with what's coming up for the hobby? Or has it lost its focus and isn't covering what it really needs to? They said that they're covering secret projects during the show. What are you hoping that they'll talk about? Or do you think this is just a smokescreen for more info about the books that are coming up? And lastly, do any of those other gaming groups sound like they'll be interesting? Are you planning to sit in any of the virtual tables? Details on how you can get in touch, coming up next.
2: And so this brings us to the end of the 173rd entry into our Chronicle. We'll be back with our 174th entry on July 21st. But before we go, we want to know. For you, dear listener, how was the show?
0: Whatever your thoughts or feelings, let us know. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on all good social media at dnd You can email us, sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com, or you can chat with us live and join the Heroes rise community at discord.heroesrisepodcast.com. This show isn't just a one way conversation, and we always love to hear from you, so take a minute and tell us your thoughts.
1: Make sure you're never caught in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else good podcasts can be found. Or through our feed at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com. And if you like the sound of what we do, there are many ways you can help support us. Heroes Rise is an official Dice Envy affiliate. Get yourself some incredibly awesome dice that will not only make you the envy of your table, but will also help your favorite D&D podcasts. Just use our affiliate link, heroesrisepodcast.com slash diceenvy. And be sure to enter the code HEROESRISE at checkout, and save yourself an extra 10%.
0: You can also help support the show by subscribing to our Patreon. Tiers start from just $4 per month and give you raw recordings of the show before the Wednesday release, HEROESRISE t-shirts, pins, and a super-secret patron lounge on our Discord server. Plus, occasionally you might get dragged into a recording or two for some distant whispers. Lucky you! To become a Patron, just head on over to patreon.com slash HEROESRISEDND.
1: And if a financial donation isn't your thing, that's cool too. Every time you share our show with friends, family, or your friendly local gaming stores, you help our audience grow. And that's ultimately why we do this. Thanks for all your likes, shares, and retweets.
2: We want to take a moment to thank our head scribe Gathmanvar, our social media mage Ray Ray, our web wizard Mark, our dungeon master and adventures league correspondent Indigo Spectre, our Master of the Marketplace Bloodlake, and our audio alchemists Mikey, Branwin, and Demosthenes. Special thanks go to our Halfling Moneylenders, Marty Chadoric, The Despoiler, The Hobbyist, Randall Evans, Brewhammer, The Sabi, Rat Queen, and Amber Squirrel Craning. Vince Fett for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show. Be sure to check him out at vincefett.bandcamp.com and Lowe of Lowe's Lair, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at Lowe's underscore Lair and Facebook at facebook.com slash Lowe's Lair. But above all, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, Fare thee well, brave adventurers.
0: This adventure begins when the characters discover a secret door, and provided they choose to investigate, and will hopefully um, actually read the copy. Beep, beep.
2: <laughs> Hold on, I have something else to say, but my daughter came downstairs, so give me a sec.
1: Is, is tying them to the bed not, not a thing? You're not supposed to do that, right? It's frowned upon. That, that is okay. frowned upon, yes.
0: Mm. All right. Also, are we talking about D&D players or Magic the Gathering players?
1: I think that ventures into a different area of inquiry that I don't feel we should explore at the moment.
0: Mm. Both of them feature dungeon masters, though. Yeah. Not many of them feature hydras. I'm not talking from experience either, for all I know.
1: I'm... (laughs) stop.
0: Might be for the best. He says, I'm the one who's bringing it on. In addition, we also have full details on all of the other tables that will be playing host to celebrity games. So if the Lost Odyssey table didn't take your fancy,
1: then uh, maybe you'd like... Last Odyssey. Uh, it's,
0: Last Odyssey. No, it is Lost Odyssey. I it's, oh. I typoed in the document, but it is actually Lost Odyssey. So okay. I verbally said it right. I typally said it wrong. So, uh.
2: <laughs> The cast from Peacock's hit comedy AP Bio will bring their expertise to the Krebs... Nope. In the Krebs cycle. The cast from Peacock's hit comedy AP Bio will bring their expertise in the Krebs cycle of Frost Giants. I'm saying this wrong. I feel like this is written oddly.
0: Will bring their expertise in the Krebs cycle cycle of Frost Frost Giants Giants. to To the palace of the- Yep.
2: I get- I had to read (laughs) it a few times. It's a load of odd
0: words, but it genuinely (laughs) makes a sentence.
2: Okay. The cast from Peacock's hit comedy, AP Bio, will bring their expert... <laughs> okay, ex- so I,
0: I see why you're struggling now.
2: <laughs> uh, I blame my daughter. She threw me off when she came downstairs.
1: <laughs> How much have you been having her work out?
2: <laughs> Enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cast from Peacock's hit... Hump-
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're regressing here. This isn't good.
2: Hold on, i get some water. Maybe that'll fix my mouth.
1: <laughs> this is Lennon, uh, what's this called? Short, short rest, rest Sink 1. <laughs> Thank you. This is Ostron, Short Rest Sink 2.
2: This is Ryu, Short Rest Sink 3.
1: And Short Rest in 3, 2.
2: Okay, I don't know how to pronounce that. Bragan, Bragan Earth?
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. Like Bregan Earth or the Gentarim, there are only, uh, there will only be- Zentarim.
1: What? Zentarim, yeah.
2: I'm sorry. I always Are you in
1: Korean mode.
2: I'm I am in Korean mode. I'm no. oh, sorry. It's all right. <laughs> like Reginald Yarth or the Zintarim. See, I still <laughs> want to say Zintarim, but yeah, Zintarim. Yeah. gotcha. I have always pronounced that Zintarim. Okay.
1: <laughs> this is Lennon Scrying Pool Sync One. This is Astrand Scrying Pool Sync Two.
2: This is Ryu Scrying Pool Sync Three. And
0: and three in Scrying Pool Two, <laughs> one. <laughs> You can also help support the show by subscribing to our page...
1: Acid Blood Pigeons